0: In 86, when I went to my first American Headache Society meeting, I went to the desk to register, to sign up, to be a member. And she said, sure, Dr. where do you practice?" And I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm a nurse practitioner. And she pulled the application out of my hand. And she said, this is only for physicians. And I said, well, why? I mean, I take care of headache patients too. And so as this young, you know, I guess I was maybe all of 25 at the time, wrote a letter to the board and said, why not? know, why can't we? And then um, met with this group of neurologists and started that path so that nurse practitioners and PAs could be members within the society. And so we started as associate members. And if you have a terminal degree, if you're doctorally prepared, then you could be a full member. Here I was, this little girl, (laughs) and I, I looked like a little girl, standing in front of this group of neurologists who looked to be about a thousand. And I thought, I have every right to be here. I take care of headache patients. I think I should be a member. You know, I have something to contribute. So I just really got on my bandwagon. And, and you know, that's, I think that's just so important for us as nurses, you know, to, to advocate for our patients and advocate for ourselves to have a seat at the table.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Clinical Appraisal a show dedicated to exploring the foundations of nursing science and practice, including theory, measurement, and methodology, and the first podcast of its kind to do a deep dive into the nuances of nursing research. I'm your host, Ian Lane. All opinions shared on this podcast are my own, and none of the information I share constitutes medical or nursing advice. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Finally, you listeners are what makes this show possible. I believe providers and researchers like myself are public servants and should not be beholden to corporate advertisers, so I have thus far refused sponsorship for this show and I will not accept any advertisements of any kind. But there's still a lot of work that goes into preparing for and creating these episodes for you week to week. So if you would like to donate a small amount to support the show and keep it going, please visit paypal.me forward slash clinical appraisal to do just that. It would be greatly appreciated. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Maureen Moriarty. Maureen is a DNP and is a current fellow of the American Headache Society. She's an adult nurse practitioner who manages headache patients in an ambulatory primary care setting. Maureen cares for patients with migraine, cluster, tension-type headache, post-traumatic headache, and a variety of atypical facial pains. Prior to opening Moriarty Associates, a comprehensive headache center... She worked at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, caring for this very same population. In addition, for a number of years, Maureen has been actively involved in educating medical professionals and the lay community about headaches through both formal lectures and clinical experiences. At Marymount University, in the School of Health Professions, Dr. Moriarty is currently an associate professor, the graduate chair for nursing, and the director of the Doctor of Nursing Practice and RN to BSN programs. Maureen previously served as the director of the Doctor of Nursing Practice program at the Georgetown University School of Nursing, where she was responsible for developing the program, including course development, teaching, coordinating faculty, maintaining regulatory standards, and program evaluation. After receiving her BSN and MSN in nursing with a focus on adult primary care from the University of Maryland, she went on to receive her DNP from Johns Hopkins in 2010. Dr. Moriarty is the first and only nurse practitioner thus far who is an American Headache Society Fellow and has received a number of awards in her career. In June 2019, she was inducted as a Fellow in the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. In 2018, she was awarded Nurse of the Year for the Peripheral Nerve Institute, Department of Plastic Surgery at the MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. The AANP also awarded her Nurse Practitioner of the Year for the District of Columbia in 2015. Maureen is also the co-chair of the Neurology Subspecialty Practice Group for the AANP as well. Maureen participates annually in the American Headache Society's annual scientific and headache education meetings and has published numerous papers on the treatment of headaches and migraines in medical journals. Please enjoy this fantastic episode with Dr. Maureen Moriarty. So thanks for being here, Maureen. Will you tell my listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you're passionate about?
0: Sure, I'm happy to. I'm an adult nurse practitioner. I was certified in 1986, so that's probably a long time before many of your listeners were even alive. Um, But I am really, really passionate about primary care, and specifically in the headache space. I've spent uh, my career working um, in and around headache centers throughout my career as an advanced practice nurse.
1: That's fascinating. And how did you end up getting in nursing specifically? How did you become an NP? And then kind of from there, we'll get into more of the headache uh, subspecialty focus.
0: Okay. So I, I'll i be very honest. I'll just go ahead and age myself. I, um, I went through nursing school in the late 70s. And that was the time when really we started to become aware of the role of nurse practitioners. You know, I read about um, Dr. Ford and all the work that she was doing. And and quite frankly, as a young nurse, I was really inspired. So I finished a baccalaureate degree and just knew right away that I wanted to be an advanced practice nurse. My original goal was to move out west and see people in the same kind of community. Um, I went right back to graduate school within two years of finishing that undergraduate degree and then um, got a bit derailed in the sense that I I took a job initially with an internist um, who was affiliated with Hopkins. He did a lot of work with headache patients and I thought, I don't know much about this. It seems really interesting to me. And um, I started to learn more and more about it and I stayed. So probably the bulk of my career was spent in internal medicine and headache. And then over the last probably 10 to 15 years, it's really moved simply into that, that headache space.
1: That's interesting. It's really interesting to me that you got into the headache space by working with an internist and more from a primary care lens as opposed to a neurology lens.
0: Right. And I think that that's something that's really, really important. People need to realize that probably 80% of headache is managed at a primary care level. You know, we hear about people who are the outliers who have chronic migraine, you know, uh, things like trigeminal neuralgia, cluster headache. But for the most part, we take care of headache in our own clinics. And so what I found was that there was a real gap in knowledge at the primary care level. And I was really fortunate enough to work with an internist who was very, very gifted, not only in the internal medicine space, but also just in terms diagnostically with people who are a little more complex. And headache can kind of fall into that because you really have to listen because it's going to be nuanced.
1: I particularly like that point about being attentive. Um, When I first reached out to you, one of the things that stands out, and maybe we'll touch on this after, is that if you could go back and do it over, you would still do the adult NP route, but you might tack on a psych mental health cert.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Because um, when I think about the space where I practice, specifically with migraine, probably uh, 50% of the time, there's comorbid anxiety or depression. And what I find is that a lot of the stresses in life are big drivers in headache. Not, not more or less necessarily, say, with hormones or other things, but they tend to be a trigger and a driver. And I wish earlier in my career I had that knowledge and knew how to manage that kind of patient a little better. I, I will say that as a young clinician, I had some missteps um, because I didn't recognize kind of signs and symptoms of some of those um, emotional illnesses or mental illnesses that can can impact the care that I was giving.
1: Mm, Absolutely. That resonates with me. I feel very fortunate to have gotten most of my research training pre-nursing school in Mm -hmm. a psychiatry department. A lot of my faculty advisors were psychologists.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So You worked with the internist, you developed this interest in headache. What was it that gripped you? What was that first moment that you thought to yourself, like, this is the thing I really want to focus
0: on? So I really, really enjoy history taking. And I really enjoy deductive reasoning. And I like trying to put the pieces together and figure things out. And as a primary care clinician, I mean, that's the way I was trained. I not only look at the neurology side of things, but really look at people holistically. So I just love the fact that I can see somebody in the morning that has a headache that's driven by hypertension, you know, it's made a little worse by that. And I can see somebody in the afternoon who maybe had, um, say, increased um, intracranial pressure and they've got a pseudotumor cerebri. So it's all kind of this mixture. but the, But the key element is that you really have to take a comprehensive history.
1: And then... Talk a little bit about how that path led you to the AANP subspecialty group, the neuro subspecialty group. How did that happen sure. for you?
0: Sure. So I have been a member of the American Headache Society for a long time, and the American Headache Society is the only society in the United States that's really for people who practice in the headache space. So it's all people, neurologists, um, primary care physicians, primary care clinicians, you know, NPs, PAs. And um, I had moved through that organization and done a lot of educational work for them. And ANP had reached out to me intermittently to, to do things because they had heard about my work with American Headache Society. And um, a friend of mine who I had collaborated with on paper was actually um, a co-chair of the Neurology Special Interest Group. And she said, would you be willing to do this? And so I said, sure, why not? And um, it's really been enjoyable. I mean, it's been really nice to be involved in my professional organization in a much more intimate way than I had been in previous years.
1: That sounds great. One of the things that strikes me about uh, kind of a thread that's building so far in our conversation, it seems to me anyway, you can tell me if this is wrong, is that when you have an opportunity that comes up that seems interesting and if it's feasible for you, you might just say yes, because it seems like most of those, yeah, most of those opportunities have turned out to be wonderful things for you.
0: Yeah, they have. And you know, the other thing I would say to people, you know, always ask why not? When I, I mean, I know this was a long time ago, but in 86, when I went to my first American Headache Society meeting, I went to the desk to register, you know, at the meeting conference to sign up to be a member. And she said, sure, doctor, where do you practice? I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm a nurse practitioner. And she pulled the application out of my hand. And she said, this is only for physicians. And I said, well, why? I mean, I take care of headache patients too. And so as this young, you know, I guess I was maybe all of 25 at the time, um, wrote a letter to the board and said, why not? You know, why can't we? And then um, met with this group of neurologists and, um, started that path so that nurse practitioners and PAs could be members within the society. And so we started as associate members. And if you have a terminal degree, if you're doctorally prepared, then you could be a full member. So I think that's something to really think about to say, why not?
1: That's fabulous. What an awesome story. So... This gives me a lot of context for your trajectory and kind of how your path developed. And so coming toward where you're at now, how did you end up in a a primary care private practice setting? Uh, Talk a little bit about that. And then how are you focusing? Is it exclusively on these patients with headache?
0: Yes, I am. So I focus exclusively on patients specifically with primary headache. Now, I will say that occasionally I will see people with a secondary headache that may be from some other pathology. You know, occasionally, and very rarely, of course, we find people on neuroimaging who do have, say, a meningioma, something like that. It's Mm. it's a very low percentage. Those folks I refer on. Um, But it's people with primary headache. And I'm practicing right now, I'm actually um, subletting space from a nurse practitioner who does functional medicine. Mm. So for me, and I've worked in a number of different settings, you know, large academic institutions and then also private practices before. And my vision is that I always wanted to have a multidisciplinary headache center. I wanted my patients to have a place where they could come and not only have a medical evaluation if they needed it, but they could also have nutritional assessment, that I would have physical therapists there who could assist them, social work, have an infusion center for folks that were really ill. And working in this practice, I have all that. So I just, I love it. And again, I'm able to interact with the person that I sublet from, you know, as a nurse practitioner, she's um, really been quite engaged um, and helpful in terms of slotting um, patients into those different disciplines.
1: There's something there I think that's important for people, too, is the collaborative element of headache care. There's a lot, these multifaceted, I mean, I don't mind sharing this because I've shared it on the podcast before, but Mm -hmm. I myself suffer from a primary headache disorder, and I probably have 12 to 16 headaches a month. And um, it is really, I mean, so just to give a little extra context for you, uh, everybody who listens to this knows I'm a nerd, Uh, super, (laughs) super nerd. And so, you know, when they told me to do a headache journal years ago, I started to actually track all the different lifestyle variables. And I started to run my own regression analyses to figure out like what's related to what. And yeah. the, the most I could find are some things that maybe accounted for 20% of the variance. And so I kept thinking, like, this is much more complex than I realized. And there's oh, a lot yeah. of pieces that fit in. So I appreciate you sharing that, especially, like, the nutritional component. And-
0: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just got finished reviewing the literature on migraine and diet again. Ooh. You know, that's one of the things that I do. every. You know, periodically I will go back and look at, you know, elements in that space just to see if there's any changes. And it's it's pretty amazing. There's some nice robust now um, randomized uh, controlled trials looking at elimination diets and um, the effectiveness of reducing the frequency and intensity of headache, so of migraines specifically. So they're hard to follow, you know, some of them. Some of them like a ketogenic diet, you know, which we use in a lot of different neurologic kind of conditions. Uh, but Mediterranean diet could be helpful. The old uh, low tyramine diet. So I, you know you're right. For many people that plays a big role, but it is multifactorial. So and it's hard for patients to figure out because it's not it's not one thing every time. It's not cause and effect. You mm. know, it's more like kind of pulling back on the trigger of a gun, and you just have that many triggers lined up, and then bang, it'll go off, and you'll get a headache.
1: That's actually a really nice segue into my next question, which is it really does kind of revolve around keeping up with the literature and, you know, being a DNP and being interested presumably in some elements of research, especially as it pertains to your specialty area of headache and migraine. I'm wondering what you see as kind of a key area where maybe nurses or nursing science or a nursing approach to headache research is kind of missing, but it would be maybe important and that we might be well poised to kind of swoop in and fill that space.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, there are a couple of things that I've seen, um, even recently. Um, You know, recently now, and I just went to the American Health Society scientific meeting, it was virtual over the last couple of days. But one of the things that they were really talking about was this whole notion of communication between clinician and patient. And using open-ended questioning, things like that, which as nurses and nurse practitioners, I think we have done for a very long time. But I really think that we shine in that communication space and that education space. So I would see us moving forward, looking at things, um, say, with clinical research in those areas, you know, sort, sort of best practices on how to communicate and say best practices on how to use new technology for patients who... You know, not necessarily can sit in front of a screen for a long time because they're photophobic. So really thinking about those kinds of things. Um, So I would see that as as one key area for us to look at.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I wonder if I might ask your opinion on another, if you don't mind. One of my personal interests is in symptom science, and Mm -hmm. particularly my clinical interests are in neuroscience nursing. I feel like neurological and neurocognitive symptoms are incredibly complex, and headache- in and of itself, from what I've experienced personally, and then just doing the little bit of digging that I've done, it can be parsed in so many ways. There seems to be this, like, combinatorial complexity in in headache. Um, I'm wondering what you think about, kind of, if you think about the symptom science world and headache and, you know, some of the bridges that might exist there. That's a very vague, uh, not well-formulated question, but what are some of the thoughts you have about how headache and uh, symptom science sort of intertwined.
0: Dr. Andrew Charles, who is, uh, he's a neurologist that practices, um, in California and is a headache researcher, does some basic science research and clinical research. And is really, really well known for, um, his involvement in, in kind of what, what happens in the phases of migraine has mm-hmm. spent a lot of time looking at symptoms. And this is very cool to me. Um, So if you think about a migraine process, about 70% of people have a prodrome. So like a day or two before they feel kind of weird. (laughs) Sometimes they'll be a little tired, sometimes a little pep more energy, sometimes yawning, all different types of symptoms. Well, what he's actually done, he's linked that with changes in MRI activation. So he's linked those symptoms. And what they find is that there's really increased activation in the area of the hypothalamus, which I just find amazing. I just think it's so cool. Because a lot of that, you know, those hypothalamic changes get linked to some of those triggers we think about, like changes in sleep-wake cycle, you know, photophobia, phonophobia, all those kinds of things. Um, And then as you move through the migraine itself, as you move through, say, the pain phase, or in folks with aura, for example, or before pain, you'll actually see changes in in the cerebral cortex. There's a wave of spreading depression, so you can map it out and you can actually see this the symptom that we, we physically manifest, so say uh, visual changes that they can actually see in a wave of a cortical depression. So I think in my, the migraine world, we're, we're starting to unravel that more and more and more. And even in the headache phase, there are different areas of the brain that tend to light up a bit more during that time. So I, I just, I, and I think it helps to explain that to patients, especially with something like this that people typically can't see because it's based on symptoms. Mm. You can say to somebody, there's a physiologic reason why this happens. And let me tell you why.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, It's also interesting to me, the amount of variability in types of symptoms experienced by different migraineurs. For example, like for myself, I have a consistent aura and it's very strange. I am, Mm -hmm. I think a particularly articulate person. And when I have an aura, 12 to 20 hours before a migraine comes on, it's usually like I start to stumble over my words or yeah. have word retrieval issues and a yeah. little allodynia. And then suddenly 12, 20 hours later, I have a migraine and it's yeah. reliable. Yeah. And then other yeah. people have none of those um, and maybe hey. have photophobia or phonophobia or something else.
0: Yeah, yeah. so it's interesting because a lot of people think that if they don't have aura, then they don't have migraine. But opera maybe happens eh, like 10 to 20% of the time. So the majority of people don't have it.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, um, you mentioned a paper that you had written with a colleague that's, is that the current co-chair of the Neurospecialty Group?
0: <laughs> yeah, and actually this was a practice brief. So um, it was a practice brief that is published on the AANP website. And we really took a deep dive into looking at new treatment therapies for migraine new medications that come out. And um, there's some new practice guidelines that have been updated in the last year or so. And so we've looked at those and really distilled them down for our NP colleagues who, like you said, maybe don't have a great deal of time to review lots and lots of literature. Um, This way, it's kind of a handy-dandy resource for them. And it's been reviewed by expert clinicians, myself and my colleague. And then it's also peer-reviewed within the organization.
1: Oh, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So are you yourself working on any research in this area of headache and primary care or anything like that? Have you been involved in any research projects at all?
0: So I've been involved in a couple recently. So um, in the last few years, and this was more of a survey, I really looked at um, the role of the nurse practitioner and PA in the headache space. Mm. So I surveyed the membership with the American Headache Society just to find out what people were doing. Um, And from that, Um, discovery, um, develop what's called the Bridge Program, which is an educational program for primary care clinicians. And so that program has been offered all over the country. So that was like kind of an outcome from that that research. Right now, in people that have chronic migraine, a lot of times they can get into analgesic overuse, and um, that really can drive headache intensity even more. So I'm working with a group who does... um, Outpatient detoxification from opiates. I'm the grant evaluator for this, and so I'm looking at um, medication-assisted tr- um, treatment, um, basically with um, suboxone therapy. So that's kind of peripherally related to what I do in the headache space, and then also I'm, I'm right now, and this is really uh, pharmaceutically funded, but I'm serving as a PI on a study.
1: From what I understand, you are DNP only trained. Do you have another research-related degree?
0: DNP training, but um, like you said yourself, um, you know, I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> and I, I absolutely love research. So um, I did my DNP at Hopkins and um, self-selected to do elective courses in um, advanced pathophysiology and in research.
1: Well, I appreciate that. If you have at all listened to recent episodes, you'll have noticed I'm very passionate about where I think DNPs who have an interest in research can fit very nicely in the space of clinical investigation and how, not to bore my listeners who've heard this about 5,000 times, but um, I think that there's a nice pathway for physician scientists who do that. um, And it's less well-developed, if at all, in the space of uh, advanced practice nursing. So I really appreciate that. So you mind if I ask, how did you find yourself the PI of this new project? Like, how did that work out for you?
0: I asked. I, I, I asked. I mean, that's all I can say. It's, it's almost unheard of for um, a nurse uh, to be a PI on a project. But I said I have a terminal degree. I have a long history of doing a of co-PI, and co-investigator and all those kinds of things. And when I started in the space, I was like a clinical coordinator. So I've got a long research history. And um, I have to say, I just asked, why can't I? And they said, well, I guess there's no reason why you can't. And so I am.
1: <laughs> that's fabulous.
0: So one of the things you know, that I really want to do, um, because I'm working in an academic space as well right now, I'm working towards developing a clinical partnership, clinical academic partnership, with one of our hospitals that's in the region. And that's really one of the outcome goals, because there are so many things that need to be looked at, both in generation of new knowledge, and looking at, say, um, quality improvement projects, that a DNP and some of my PhD colleagues could really assist with that. So, and I just, that's one of the big, the other thing I'm really passionate about is just making that connection, you know, between academics and the clinical world. I say this all the time, you know, anybody else that's in a service profession, you know, you think about medicine or you think about physical therapy, even um, social work, psychology, if you take an academic appointment, clinical practice of some sort is built into that that piece. And um, we don't do that in nursing. You know, it, it's it's like we're even more silent than I think other professions are. So that's one of the things that I really want to see happen, is this, this partnership develop. Because I agree with you. I think that there's so much opportunity for us. Um, and if we don't take it, somebody else will do.
1: Absolutely. You've been a very nice person to talk to in that, you seem to have a lot of advice for up-and-comers. So this next question, you've probably touched on various points, but if you could extract one of the most important pieces of advice that you would give to someone like myself, who's a student, future NP, who's interested in similar things, what, what advice would you give to students like myself?
0: I would say, first, don't limit yourself. I mean, one of the things that I am very happy that I did, I am very happy that clinically I worked in a relatively broad space For at first, worked with an internist, so saw so all different kinds of medical issues. Um, once you decide, I mean, and, and you can stay in primary care forever. There's lots of people that do and they love it. But if that's your passion, really try to hone in on that and 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 kind of make that your life's work. I mean, not that you can't have a couple different passions because you can't. But I, I really see that um, with a lot of young clinicians, they'll jump from one specialty area to another, and I think that's really difficult to do. You know, build on your base. And and the other thing that I think is really important, and even after almost forty years, I read every day. Every day, you know, it, it's it may not be a lot, you know. I may look at an AANP brief. And and that's all I've
1: done that day, but I still read every day. Great. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clinical Appraisal. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share this channel with your friends in healthcare and review the show on your favorite listening app. If you'd like to donate to support the show, please visit paypal.me forward slash clinical appraisal. Any support, however small, will be profoundly helpful in continuously improving the episodes across time. If you'd like to ask a question or share a comment, please email me at clinicalappraisal at gmail.com and visit my website at about.me forward slash Ian Lane. If I ever review a paper you are an author on, or you would like to join me to discuss some project you are doing, please send a note to that same email address. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again next time.